Welcome to a very, very special episode of CMO Combo, the 100th episode. It's been a long journey to get here. I've hosted many, many episodes on the way to here, but I'm not actually gonna be speaking much at all in this episode. I'm gonna be handing things over to my CMO, Bryony Pierce. She's going to be speaking to my Fenton and Virginie Falcone on the topic of diversity and leadership, particularly through the lens of women in those kinds of positions. So over to you, Bryony. I'm delighted today to be joined by my CMO at Superscripts and Virginie, former CMO at BBC Maestro. Really appreciate you joining us on the CMO Alliance podcast today to talk about a really important topic, which is diversity and leadership. Before we get stuck in, it would be great to do a round of intros. So Maya, if I can start with you, it'd be great to understand a little bit about your professional background and I guess your role now mm -hmm. at Superscript. Great, well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to join you and Virginie today. Um, so my background has been marketing for my whole career. I started in consumer goods, I moved into retail, e-commerce, digital platform, and I've now been at Superscript, a CMO for four years. In fact, it was my fourth anniversary at the beginning of the week. Um, and I'm, I'm also uh, a NED on the board of Henderson International Income Trust, BRC, um, and a trustee on the board of the Lavia Rugby Works, which is a fantastic charity helping young people. Fabulous. Well, congratulations on the four-year anniversary. Um, Virginia, it'd be great to hear a little bit about you as well. Yeah, congratulations, uh, May. That's a great milestone. And thank you for having me as well. Really delighted to be here. Uh, so likewise, I've got a career, I think, about 20 years in marketing. Uh, I worked for um, large companies such as Sky, um, Aviva, and O2. And then I've also worked for smaller um, startups in the edtech and fintech world in the last few years. And then my, my last... Uh, last role, CMO of, of BBC Maestro, um, which I, I left uh, uh, about a month ago. Um, and uh, I'm also, actually, I'm not a trustee, very impressive uh, uh, NED and trustee experience. I'm um, a school governor, actually, which is uh, something I'm very proud of. So, yeah, on the side. Definitely. Really nice mix of experience. And I guess mm -hmm. if I kind of touch on my experience as well, nowhere near as much experience um, as you two, unfortunately, but I'm the CMO of the Alliance. So we're an umbrella corporation, got 15 community brands in there, all serving kind of various different professional niches. I've been with the company now for four years. Uh, I think it will be my anniversary um, in around a month. Um, and my role has changed quite a lot since I've been there. I actually joined the company in purely kind of copywriting capacity. It's then evolved. I kind of started building um, the copywriting team and then the course team and then the customer success team and then the marketing team and then the kind of marketing operations team and now kind of at the helm of each of those. So it's been quite a journey and it's led to me where I am now um, in the CMO role. Um, and hopefully in 20 years time, um, I'll still be here with uh, that kind of cloud of marketing experience, but very much at the start of my, my marketing journey. I guess to get into the crux of the topic, so diversity and leadership, a big part of that is I guess the female representation um, in those leadership level roles. So I guess it would be great to understand from both of your perspectives, what you think the biggest challenges are when it comes to that female representation um, in leadership? And I guess, Virginia, I'll pass it to you first to kind of get your thoughts on that. Um, oh, that's a meaty topic to yeah. straight, straight to start with. Um, Biggest biggest challenges, uh, I suppose. Um, there, there's quite there's quite a few from from both sides. I think uh, you know from my per personal perspective as well in my career, uh, there's definitely a, a bit of a historical perspective. And women, uh, you know, there's still a, stats are still quite low in terms of the percentage of women on on leadership positions and in boards. And I think it's it's kind of you know making your way and making your space as a woman. That's definitely a challenge. Just finding your space finding your voice um, is definitely a challenge with a, with, when boards are still very male dominated and not that diverse. Uh, but I'd say as well, I think, um, and then I've thought of that there's a lot of limiting beliefs that we probably put on ourselves as well. So it's two-sided because, um, you know, and I think that's where for me, for instance, when my work with education, it's about convincing girls and women that it's also possible to get to those leadership positions and not have those limiting beliefs um, and not have this imposter syndrome. And we know that all of these things are very strong and still hinder us as, as well. So for me, um, it's yeah, it's definitely quite a, a big topic. There's a lot of different angles and it's not just coming from the fact that women, you know, traditionally still companies don't appoint women. I think there's also some things that we as women can do about it. Um, and we'll, I'm sure, talk about it as well, uh, about, you know, making sure that we have, we're comfortable and we have a place as well. So, yeah, that, that's probably my, my view initially. Well, for me, there's two key challenges and one that is 
not really in our control as women and one that we can take control of. And the, the first one is those unconscious biases that exist you know, around you know, men being better able to perform or having more potential to perform than a woman. And I think even if we've made a lot of progress in the last decade, it's still, it's still there. It's still something that we have to, to acknowledge and to, to fight off. And the second challenge is one that we can take control is I think women in general, and I'm definitely generalizing here, but women, we tend to not be great at self-promoting, at celebrating our successes and making them uh, visible, acknowledged. And without that recognition of our uh, success and achievements, it's very difficult to get that promotion or get that career advancement. Um, so yeah, self-promotion, networking, etc., is definitely something that we, we can take control of and, and work on. Absolutely. I really agree with that self-promotion piece as well. I think I'm quite guilty of that. I don't like to take yeah. credit in that I'm similar, like it's never an I and it's a we. And I guess yeah. in a way it's a great thing because it's representing the voice of the team because we're rarely doing things in isolation. But as you say, it has a bigger and I guess more profound, yeah. profound effect, sorry, um, if it's on repetition. So really, uh, really good points there. And I guess kind of leading on from that, I guess a lot of what we're doing, um, I guess we've got a lot of experiences over our years and you know, you've both got a lot of marketing experience. and. So are there any experiences from your experience, I guess, either positive or negative that maybe influenced the type of leader that you are today? Um, so there's two things. I think there's, uh, if I look back in my earlier career, the things that really influenced me is when I worked for leaders that were very clear on goals, uh, really clear on expected results. Um, and I think for me, that really influenced how I shaped myself as, as a leader. I think clarity of goals and objectives and be getting people on, on board with you, being clear how we achieve these objectives and helping your teams around problem solving, all that kind of stuff. I've, I've definitely learned from leaders I, I looked up to in my earlier career. In terms of my style, the leadership styles, I would say I've learned from what I observed I did not want to be as a leader, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> more so than trying to you know, sort of yeah. mimic other leaders. So there's, there's that top-down kind of leadership, right? And I've I've worked with line managers that were very directive, autocratic, very controlling. Um, that's not the kind of leader I want to be. I'm more of a servant leader, very inclusive. You know, I want to encourage collaboration. I want people to build a safe place for my team to perform, to succeed, to be open, to voice their opinion. Because I think that really um, that creates a better space for innovation mm-hmm. and better decision making. You know, if you feel comfortable sharing perspectives and so on. So that's I, I would I'm definitely more of that kind of leader you know for me um openness empathy compassion support is 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 the is i guess is have become yeah. through through the experience i've had um Definitely. in the past i mean so for me and i'm just building on to to that because i agree with all of that and i don't want to paraphrase or repeat but i would completely agree and i've had the same experience i think for me the thing that i've learned a, a little bit later on and certainly in the last few years is also to bring and it's been something really hard for me especially as again a woman to um to to do is to uh, learn how to be vulnerable and so again, and, and I say as a woman, because everyone can be vulnerable, but again, when you're a young um, woman and, and, and girl starting in the industry and you want to m- move up the rank, you are really tr- usually suppressing that vulnerability. You already have that imposter syndrome. You already, you know, try So you kind of portray yourself as quite, quite tough, try and avoid that vulnerability. And I found my, that as a leader, that being quite vulnerable and open and transparent when I struggle with my teams has been the thing that really has connected us. But also that I've really enjoyed when I've worked with leaders who were vulnerable as well. So not about being weak. Exactly. That's vulnerability is not weakness. It's about being transparent, open, connecting with people that, yes, we also struggle. We can't have it all. We can't. We can't. It doesn't exist. No one can have it all. No one can do it all perfectly. And I find that people really um, find a lot of comfort from it, but especially, again, women, um, if you're as a leader, um, that it, it gives them that space to say, well, I'm struggle on this and that, but it's okay. And it's still, you can, I can still progress. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's been something that I've, again, experienced the best leaders of people who were also able to be vulnerable and very open and candid when they were struggling on things. Um, and that could be including personal life, dealing with children and how to balance careers. It could be lots of things, but um, the worst, the reverse would be leaders who are very autocratic, very close, very business-like, and, and you don't have any of that uh, personal report. And they're just not very good, actually, I find. Uh, that's not been my good experiences. Yeah, I think for me it's really about authenticity. Yeah. It's very important. You 
that I feel I can be authentic as a leader. So the worst leaders I've worked with, they were trying to act as some, yeah. someone else. And yeah. it's, you know, if you're not authentic as a leader, you can't build trust or credibility. Mm -hmm. You don't have trust and credibility, you can't bring people on board with you. I mean, how are they to follow you if, if, if they feel you're completely um, unauthentic? Mm -hmm. uh, because they won't, you need that, that trust, I think. So I, I always allow myself to be who I am authentic that means yes. vulnerable yeah. as well and very open and honest and that's also what I look for yeah. when I hire I, I, I really would rather uh, uh, you know if I think of succession planning so, somebody who's really authentic with their weaknesses than uh, somebody that tries to act up yeah uh, the, the tough I know it all kind of yeah. <laughs> kind of thing definitely. so definitely there's so much I can relate to right now especially yeah. on that vulnerability side and I think regardless of who you are I think Sometimes when you go into that leadership level role, you feel like, and I certainly, when I first entered it, I felt like that came a responsibility to know everything and yes. to have all the That's answers. Right. And you feel if you don't know that, it diminishes your role as a leader, mm. when it absolutely doesn't. You can't know everything about everything. And I think it's the greatest um, sign of a leader to be nurturing people so that they know the answers mm -hmm. before you and they can answer questions that you maybe don't know because they're closer to that project or that campaign. Yeah. And I think going back to what you were saying, Mai, in terms of, you know, you've learned most about the type of leader you don't want to be. Exactly the same for me. And I actually wrote a blog for the CMO Alliance recently, and mm -hmm. I didn't realise how much I had to say on the topic until I started writing it. And it must be about 7,000 words I ended up going for, because I kept going and going. And I was like, I have so much to say. And mm -hmm. similar, like the previous leaders and I guess cultures that I've learned from, like my first role when I came out of university, it was a terrible culture and all the people in senior leadership in this isn't to generalize but it's a very male dominated company in terms of the senior leadership roles and they kind of um, illustrated their leadership by shouting um, and literally so in the marketing department we'd have the ceo coming in sometimes floor to ceiling windows in these meeting rooms screaming at heads of departments and you can hear it and you can yeah. see it and i thought that doesn't help anyone be better like i don't come in the next day thinking i want to work harder for this person I want to look for another job because I'm not feeling valued here. And the CMOs that I've had the greatest respect for are the ones that get a really good balance between obviously leading and, you know, you're relying on them for the strategy, but they roll the sleeves up. And I think in this blog I was writing, I um, referred to the previous CMO in the company I work for. I remember the specific example is we were doing an awful like data cleansing project. We brought in a bunch of interns because we needed to basically re-enrich 20,000 contacts on his commute in on the train and his commute back on the way back, he was calling people and um, we get people's numbers because there was so much that we needed to do. And obviously his role and he doesn't add value doing that, but the fact that he was willing to do that, I had so much respect in the marketing team. Like when we were just chatting, I'm like, can you believe he's doing that? And it makes you like, well, yeah, I'll do that if the CMO is doing it. Why would I not want to chip in? And I think like some obviously very specific and small scale example, but you have to lead by example in every sense of the word. And I think just rolling your sleeves up is a big part of that too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, that's really interesting. I can't believe how much I've related to everything so far already. Um, I guess next question is, I guess, mentorship. I think mentorship can obviously be a great sounding board and a great um, way for, for women to navigate um, that leadership space. So what role has mentorship played in your role in your route to the leadership? Is that something that you've taken advantage of and how has that benefited you? And I guess if you have taken advantage of mentorship, how do you plan on paying that forwards moving forwards? Um, so yes, I have, and and on both sides. So I have had the pleasure and really the chance, really, to uh, have a number of mentors in my careers. Um, some that were part of a, a programs and companies that were encouraging it, and others that I actively sought because I knew the benefits of mentorship and I was looking for a mentor. Um, and they were absolutely pivotal to my career. I mean, these are people who really shaped it, who really, I still remember some of the words they told me. They were amazing mentors. Um, and in, in some of the earlier times of my careers, some, most of them were CMOs and, or even uh, CEOs. And so several level above me, but really people I aspired to, um, but they were, um, yeah, they, they, were, they were really supportive. They also gave me um, some great advice and it was quite career defining at times. Um, and um, it helped me even, one of my mentors really helped me kind of take that break to, to that next level of, um, promotion. So I, I would absolutely encourage for me, it's something that I, I really value. And I 
have paid it forward. I've, I've just joined some mentorship networks, so actually Bloom UK and Thrive with Mentorship, which I've just joined the cohorts this year because I found myself with a bit more time and it had been on my mind for a while. So I'm actively mentoring people, um, but for the first time, people who are not in my company, so I don't know them. Mm -hmm. And they come from very different backgrounds, journalistic, other and So this is great because I'm really trying to help them pay forward. Um, but not in a way of telling them what they should do or there's no re relatable, I don't know what they do or what their job is. And so, um, and I absolutely, absolutely really enjoy it. And yeah, that's something I'm quite passionate about trying to pay it forward now. But also actually, and you might, you might agree, I do, I, it's a bit, it feels a bit presumptuous to say, I'm not paying it forward because I've had all the mentorship, I'm done, I'm there. <laughs> so no, I, I actually still am thinking I would like a mentor. I need to find myself another mentor, maybe recontact re one of my mentors because I'm certainly not at the point where that's it. Don't need any mentorship, don't need any help. So I still yeah, really would benefit from, from the mentoring as well. I guess at what point in your career then did you start with mentorship? I guess it was before you're entering um, your CMO roles. I guess it's different yes. for everyone. For you, what was that point? Yeah. I mean, giving, being a mentor as well. Uh, well, you seeking a mentor. Oh, yeah. uh, no, no, quite earlier. Yeah, yeah, way before. This was maybe 10, 15 years ago um, uh, that I started getting mentorship. I think uh, I said the first time I think I was on, you know, some of these big companies have programs, leadership, development programs, not even leadership, but like, you know, talent programs. And I think as part of that, I was on one of those and you got to get a mentor to help you get to the next level. And that's how I got, I think, my first mentor. Mm -hmm. And then I really enjoyed that relationship because it's a contract. It's mm -hmm. obviously short term. You don't, I mean, I kept the conversation going, but then I then, you know, went on to seek more mentorship. So, yeah. I would say. I envy you. Oh. <laughs> I've, I've not, I've never had a mentor. Oh, really? Oh. No, for some reason, I, even if I've worked for big corporates, there was never like a, a defined program yeah. to, to support that. So, I, but I wish, I wish I had mm -hmm. had a mentor before because I'm sure it would have accelerated my learning, my progression, my career uh, mm -hmm. a lot a, a lot quicker. Um, but I, I believe in mentoring. So, you know, I, I, I'm not part of a formal uh forum like bloom whatever but i'm always seeking opportunities to have you know side conversations with people that you know, some people come to me as well just for a coffee because they want to talk you know we met in leadership or that kind of stuff so I'm, I'm always willing and i do some mentoring for students which is different it's not really business-led but i do a lot of that as well but I, I i think mentoring is is something that businesses should try and sort of harness and 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 organize because not everyone can is forthcoming about yes, yeah. asking for the opportunity I'm in the exact same boat, my, um, I've never had a mentor either. Definitely something I want to look for moving forward. And I think certainly for me, I think my roles just accelerated so quickly. I just haven't even had a beat over the last kind of three, three and a half years. But certainly now when I guess, don't feel like I've got more time as such, but I certainly feel like I've bedded into the role more. I'm very much thinking, I think, you know, the last year, year and a half has been taken over this marketing department. There's been a lot of process, been a lot of setup. I really now want to think about me and obviously everything I do to develop me is going to benefit the team anyway, but really want to make some intentional time. But also we've been thinking about giving back as well. Um, I actually had someone reach out on LinkedIn earlier. I think she's this lady um, recently kind of inherited a marketing department, seen bits of going on LinkedIn. We're going to start having kind of monthly coffee chats and just exploring it um, because I think it's so invaluable having those conversations. And it's one thing, admittedly, I probably don't make enough time for is having just those coffee conversations with other CMOs. It doesn't need to be in the same industry. Just want to learn how other things are doing things and seeing what I can apply. And it's one of those I'm terribly guilty for. When you're busy, it's the first thing I won't make time for. But it's probably one of the things that will have one of the biggest impacts yeah, on those busy yeah, spells. Yeah, so yeah. it's really hard balance to get right. And I was going to add, I mean, because both of you are at a level where you can influence a lot of things in their companies, I would actually encourage also having the conversations about how the businesses could put a, um, a, a, even a loose mentoring scheme in place. Because one of the things I'd say is, from my experience, I've been very lucky. Um, when you're quite junior, if that's not in place, it's very daunting and very hard mm -hmm. on, for yourself to go and ask someone, you know, several levels above, quite senior, very busy, to go and ask if they would have some time. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people might, but very few people will have the courage. Um, but if there is a scheme in place, it gives you that permission, it really helps. So yeah. sometimes that's something that you might be able to, yeah, Absolutely. influence in the business. Definitely. <laughs> Um, I guess next I wanted to move the conversation over to, I guess, the current status um, of women in leadership. And it's obviously been a big topic for a long time. And I think while we are moving um, in the right direction, there's obviously a long way to go. And I think that, you know, the stats out there on 20, um, sorry, publicly traded companies, 
think only around 20% of females kind of possess um, those leadership level roles. So do you feel this adds any pressure on to kind of you as a female leader and kind of how does that influence your day to day and week to week? I I don't feel any pressure, but I think there's definitely I think all businesses could could do more. Um, the stats that you mentioned, I think they're for C-level Fortune 500, right? Um, and if you look at broader executive teams, so level below board and their direct reports, I think this number is a little bit better, at least in the FTSE, I think it's, it's 33%. So it's not far off the 40% target of 2025, which is good progress. I mean, I'm, I'm really pleased to see yeah. that. Uh, board, I think at board level, the target's already achieved, right, of the Women Leaders Review FTSE. So, um, and actually, I'm on my board with 60% women. <laughs> so um, so th that's good there. I think tech businesses, I, I haven't seen any published data, but I think startups tech is, is probably much, much lower. Yeah. Um, but if you look at founders, you know, founders in tech, like women founders, the percentage like any VC funding, it's um, yes. it, it's much lower. So there's, there's a lot of progress to be made. I do wonder whether, you know, the reason I think publicly traded companies are much closer to the target is because uh, these targets are set, they have to publish progress. And if, if only yes, in privately held company, you know, if boards of privately held companies could could put an onus, you know, on, on themselves and on the leadership mm -hmm. team to think about succession planning that brings more women, it's going to take a long time, right? Because mm -hmm. obviously, because of all that legacy decades ago, these unconscious biases of bringing more men in succession, because you know, you hire people that look like you because they're successful and so you're more likely to be successful. Well, it's going to take time, but we need to start now, I think, just to reap the benefits in, you know, quite, quite a few years. Um, wouldn't it be nice if VCs had an on target as well? I would only yes. invest in a, <laughs> in a business whose leadership team is made of X percent women, but hey. One day. as <laughs> one of the things, they, the metrics, it might, maybe, I mean, one day, who knows? Because things are moving. That could become a thing. That could absolutely... Yeah, that'd be nice. Um, but I would agree. I think that would be my, my view as well. Again, having, like you, in, in the last few years, I've moved away from all my companies were publicly listed, very big PLCs, to smaller tech, tech startup, actually. And you could see the shift there. There's no targets, there's no scrutiny as much, there's no, they don't have to own, to, 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 to admit. And so then it starts cascading down and you can see, so I would agree. Um, but it's good overall to celebrate. There's been a lot of progress, even over the last 20 years, my career is 20 years, I, I could see really a lot of shift. So I think that's good. And it's still to, to bring some positives, to celebrate also some, um, so, to, you know, some encouragement so that, so that people, you know, who listen, um, you know, can get comfort that things are progressing in the right direction. I don't, I wouldn't say I find that it really brings pressure. I mean, not so much in terms of pressure of thinking, oh, I need to get there. Oh, it sounds impossible. I think there's two things for me is one, I found myself, because I've been a CMO to several companies, not, not just BBC Maestro before. I found myself at the time the only woman <laughs> on the leadership team of the board or the board. And it's not so much a pressure. It's just you do, all of a sudden you stop feeling like you're a minority, but like in a really, really awkward Gosh, you know, because you're not a minority in the population, it's 50%. So you think, how, how can I be the only one? And so you feel a bit like an alien, like the different one. And so it's not always been the case. Sometimes I've made to be felt, you know, feeling as well like that, like you're the woman. So what does the woman in the room think? And that's not great. And so I have had that time where that's a lot of pressure. You think, oh, I'm representing my whole entire um, gender. So and in tech businesses, it's, and especially in fintech, it's still quite often the case that that is very male-dominated industry still. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing I'd say is, and we'll come on, I'm sure, to it. But for me, the big thing as well is that the pressure comes, and I've seen it from my friends and my network, the pressure comes also from at a point where this, it's the work-life balance. So there's a point in women's careers, and I've seen it a lot with my own people in my teams and my own friends, and then you get to a point where you might want to have children, have a family, and things change. And I think there's a lot of things that companies have to do, still need to do, to also enable that to be absolutely fine. Like, you can still become a leader, you can still, but things are flexible, so you can still, you know, have it, combine it with a family life and aspirations on the side. I still see a lot of women who decide end of career. And they might not even be told, they just decide, I need to choose. And um, that's where some companies are amazing and do a lot and help and others are still in the dark ages. And I, I do think that is a huge pressure. I mean, I've seen it and I've passed that point, but I see it in my teams. It, it's a big pressure.
Definitely. I've had kind of friends of mine as well who've been in very senior roles and they've not necessarily seen that as the end of the career when they're thinking about obviously having a first child, but they're worried about yeah, kind of, worried. you know, like yeah. telling their boss, like, because yes. they're going to need obviously a substantial mm-hmm. t- period of time off, which obviously mm-hmm. you should never have to feel yeah. like it's part of, you know, if you want to, if you want to raise a family, that's kind of part and parcel. But um, I guess I'm in a fortunate position in that the Alliance is the first company where I've been on this kind of senior leadership team. And, we've got good representation. It's kind of, well, we're 50-50 in our team. So that's really nice to see. Um, really interesting to kind of hear about your experiences there. And I guess leading on to the next question, I'm obviously, obviously talking about this because of the importance of diversity and leadership and the benefits sorry, of that. And there are so many studies out there on the benefits of having female representation in those kind mm-hmm. of leadership level roles. But I guess I'd love to hear from you two specifically mm-hmm. and kind of what the benefits are um, through your eyes. And I guess, Virginia, I'll start with you on that one. <coughs> Yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought it's an interesting question, actually. Um, one that I get asked a lot and we have these conversations and it's quite controversial in my perspective because I um, I mean, there's a lot of benefits I could talk about. Um, one, I find it almost quite strange because I'm always talking about the benefits that I bring because I'm a woman. And sometimes it's a bit like, it's a bit strange, right? <laughs> but also, I just feel like in a way, I want to challenge that a little bit because because part of me is also almost gets annoyed sometimes thinking, but why does it need to be a benefit, an extra thing? It's about I'm really good at my job, my gender or my, and it's true for all diversity, doesn't really, should not be a factor. So I shouldn't even have to bring another benefit that's different or, or I'm adding something different. It should be the fact that, you know, I'm good at my job, I'm good at marketing, I'm good. So I should get the role. And so it's interesting when I get asked questions, I'm sometimes thinking I'm almost trying to come up with benefits, scratching my head. But really also the reality is that why should there be any difference or what would ha- why do we have to maybe show benefits? Um, that's the first thing I'd say, because, you know, if we're good at marketing, it, that shouldn't matter. But I mean, obviously we can talk about, and, and maybe uh, now you'll have some views, because obviously there are, I'm sure, some benefits in some science, maybe about, um, you know, female approaches to things. There is certainly some elements that we, we bring to the leadership boards in terms of balance, in terms of the, um, the more empathetic side sometimes. And so um, that can really help as well when building a culture. Mm-hmm. I think that can really help that balance, um, building a, a culture that's more nurturing, that's more that has more mentoring or etc. Um, but yeah, I mean, as I say, I, yeah, and you might you might have some. I mean, stuff I, I'd well. like to take the question from a give it a broader perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if um, you know, we we're talking about diversity in a leadership team, I think the same principles apply to diversity in any team, right? And I think there's real benefits in bringing people from. Uh, different genders, different um, uh, cultures, nationalities, orientation, etc. Um, because you know, it's all about cognitive diversity, right? So uh, you have a different perspective on things. Your approach to problem solving is very different, and I think really that that enables better innovations, mm-hmm. better decisions than you know, like a, mm-hmm. a single uh, <laughs> tunneled vision when you've got people yeah, that are just really, all you know. Yes. The same, right? And, I, and I'm pretty sure that, uh, I think it's a research from McKinsey pr- proved that also there's financial benefits to an organization. Mm. Uh, the more diverse your workforce, the more profitable you are. The, yeah, you know, the, so, so um, you know, for, for me, it's about decision-making, innovation. And, and if, 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 if bringing people with very different perspective can only be beneficial, right, to, mm-hmm. to, to a team, and that applies to a leadership team as well. Yeah, completely agree. And really valid like appreciate as well they're not quite like why should we have to have a benefit like regardless if it's female in leadership mm-hmm. or whatever kind of angle of diversity we're looking at we shouldn't really have to okay. justify that but really agree okay. on your point as well in the sense of the, the perspectives that you get in the experience mm-hmm. that you gain it's a no-brainer and I think as well at the moment I'm certainly seeing if we look at recruitment for the last couple of years it's kind of a must-have like the majority of candidates these days I've found in an interview and I'm asking what yes. is the diversity of your yeah, organisation? Can you chat me through that? Yes. And I think if you're going through a recruitment process and you're scratching your head thinking, mm, mm-hmm. not got much there, it's going to impact your hiring yeah. potential down the line as well. Yeah, That's true. Absolutely. Candidates are asking now. It's become mm-hmm. a criteria, which is great. Which yeah. is, yeah. But yeah. Definitely. Um, I guess, so going back to the mentorship side, so we've spoken about, I guess, certainly for you, Virginia, how beneficial it's been um, kind of having mentors um, kind of going kind of through, through your career. I guess thinking about other resources outside of mentorship, what resources have you found particularly useful kind of in your route to kind of leadership and currently in your leadership roles? I, I, um, 
I use resources that any, I guess, business leader would use, so business podcasts, that kind of thing. But I, I, I haven't got like a go-to female-only resource, I have to say. So it would be you know, reading, listening to, to, to podcasts and just... You know, interacting with people that I really look up to, that I can learn from. Uh, I, I don't have a secret source, but that's other than, than you know, the very generic yeah. <laughs> resources, really. You, you, I think, well, you do, obviously, because you joined Bloom. Yeah, yes, exactly. Chief, I was going to say, yeah. but it's quite recent. So actually, um, and in doing that, part of my, my rationale was that I... I wanted to find some resources and and like you I was um, you know listening to a lot of podcasts and going to conferences and um, but um, but felt like um, you know I could do or well, I could do with more resource and and finding maybe a place where um, we would be addressing some of these topics and that's what led me to join um, especially Bloom uh, UK because there's the agenda is a lot about diversity in all forms, not not just uh, female representation, and and I think it's a very wide network, and so it's a very big source of resource, um, inspiration, talks, but also perspectives from lots of people when we meet. Um, so that's definitely it's new, but it's definitely proven for me a really really good resource, um, even in the last few months. So um, yeah, I'd recommend that's definitely a good. And there's plenty of these these networks that are being built in groups, so I know it's it's not um, mm -hmm. not promoting one over the other. But yeah, well, I'm going to have to answer and promote the CMO Alliance. Yes, exactly. um, <laughs> you both missed that one in the answer there. I'll pull it out. <laughs> um, I guess moving on, I guess less around diversity specifically, but just about the CMO role. It's a high pressure role, right? I don't think we can I don't think we can deny that. And I think another thing we probably can't shy um, kind of shy away from is there's a lot of stats out there, kind of CMOs being the shortest tenure role um in the C suite. So what are your thoughts on that? How do you feel about that and what do you think is kind of driving that? I'll start with you, Virginia, for that one. <laughs> oh, there's so much to say. <laughs> We're looking at each other. Lots of debate on that topic uh, we, we've had over the last few months. Um because it, it's true and, and it's very much something it's um it's almost a shared experience it connects us you know speak to other cmos and people really relate that it's a short ten it's a more i think it is the most short tenure role um and it's it's also a, a quite a, a, a challenging role at least from the inside um i mean perspective on why that is i think you know uh there, there's there's several there's several reasons i think Certainly, there is um, a view, and I think we have having a debate on that um, a few months ago, where the the CMO role and the marketing role are still, in a lot of instances, sadly, seen as a bit of a cost center. Uh, and so, when things get tough, when there's a need for budget cuts and restructures, um, that is certainly an area that that gets kind of scrutinized. One of the first areas, with probably I think it's HR, but uh, it's seen as a cost center, and it's part of us to reeducate that, and it gets us all a bit. Uh, excited because um, we drive the growth we're not a, just a cost center and I know there's budget to it and the big budgets in marketing but most of the CMO roles they do marketing sometimes they even do sales they tend to be very uh, you know linked to the revenue generation and also the, the especially the last few years marketing and CMOs are also growth directors I mean most of the especially in our smaller companies we hire to drive the growth so it's something that I'm certainly crusading on a little bit in education around um, you know the the value of the CMO uh, on, the, on the boardroom and then the marketing team and no we're not just just costing, costing um, so that's one thing I'd say from my perspective um, that I, I think is a wrong perception mm -hmm. um, I think the other thing I've had a lot of um, I call it the everyone can do marketing syndrome. I've had a lot of that. It's a personal experience of mine, but um, it's a little bit true. And again, it's something that I'm quite passionate about. So I do a lot of education of boardrooms now where, you know, there's a bit of an assumption that marketing is easy. It's a bit of a, of a dark art and everyone's got a perception, um, a view. But again, that means that, you know, the CMO is less valuable than everyone else because I can sort of do their role or I sort of can do marketing. Everyone can do marketing. Uh, but obviously we don't think it's true. But I have had a lot of that, the everyone can do marketing syndrome. So I'm emphatically yeah. nodding along here as soon as you said that. <laughs> there's so much legacy and a misunderstanding and marketing is all about branding and identity yeah. and putting some advertising out there and a big a big cost, right? Mm -hmm. So like you said, it's education. I mean, marketing's changed so much. Yeah. Probably when I started, you know, it was really about just some yes. advertising and mm -hmm. brand. But, you know, with 
the digitization, the digital, digital revolution, etc. It's changed so much. And we are, at Superscript, we are a revenue generator. Mm -hmm. Totally, we're accountable for it. And, and, and our role is to actually show we understand the company metrics that matter. We care about ROI and we're able to talk about it around the boardroom and, and the exec table because otherwise you'll never be credible, right? If you don't understand what matters to your CAO and your CFO, you can't speak their language, mm -hmm. then you know, that's probably why your, your tenure will be shorter than, than the average. Uh, but yeah, the whole marketing is an investment rather than a, than a cost. This is, this is an eternal battle. I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky you know, to prescribe that there's a clear understanding of the value, but it's not always been the case in, my, in, in, in previous, previous roles, mm -hmm. um, for, for sure. So a bit, a bit, of, a, a bit of a crusade. To, to, to be honest, the 4.2 is not bad. I know it's below the average of other CXOs, but what I saw in that same piece of research that horrified me was that the average tenure of a chief, was it um, chief diversity and inclusion officer oh, yes. is 2.7. Yeah. So that's that's quite scary. Yeah. Right? And the uh, probably are yeah. quite quite impacted yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, it, it will, you know, I think it will it will get better. But again, these numbers are Fortune 500. I think like this. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, we we if, if only we could get our hands on yeah. <laughs> the broader. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the yeah. border uh, number. I'm not as long as you both do that. So much to relate to again, um, yeah. in the sense of everyone thinks of a marketer, it's the classic, everyone thinks they're a designer, everyone thinks they're a copywriter, and that perception piece, I think a lot of people, and it is on us, obviously, I guess, to do that internal education piece. But one thing that's been very clear in a lot of organisations I've been in is, well, marketing send the emails. Well, we don't just send emails, and there's more to an email than just writing that email and sending that email. It's part of a broader strategy, and I think so. It's hard sometimes to do that education piece because to get everyone to truly understand the influence and the value of it, you need to get deep into the strategy for people to really understand the complexity of it. But you can't expect everyone to understand that complexity. And I guess similar to what you mentioned at Superscript, like marketing for us, we've got very clear revenue targets, and we're really aligned to sales and what we're doing. So like growth is one piece of it, and one piece of our marketing department. But we've got two kind of sub departments in there where we've got lofty kind of revenue targets. So to hopefully try and kind of combat that, like, no, we're not just sending pretty emails and sending social posts. We are driving this much revenue ourselves, and we are influencing this much revenue within the sales team. And so important to kind of keep that conversation alive, like on a regular basis within the organization. Yeah. So there's obviously a lot of combined um, experience between the two of you in terms of your marketing experience and your path to the C-suite. I guess if anyone's listening or watching right now thinking, you know, I want to be a CMO, how do I get there? I guess, what would your advice to, uh, to those kind of people be? And, you know, how would you recommend they chart their path to the C-suite? Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. So I've got maybe, I like a three-point plan. I'm going to try and do this in three points. So the first thing I'd say is that I think we talk, just talked about it. Marketing has evolved a lot. And people who are in marketing will know that, but it's very much a science now. And I think when you get to the boardroom, if you want to be credible, you need to know your numbers. So I think it's very, very important to embrace the fact that you're going to be need to build quite a commercial understanding. You're going to need to build commerciality. So if you're not strong on numbers, if you don't really understand your numbers, then I'd say that's the first thing to do is to get close to the numbers, get close to trading, maybe even do a role that's closer to the commercial, the revenue, the sales, because um, nowadays marketing is a lot about how do I demonstrate the value, how do I attribute, how do I track, how do I measure. And that's the first thing I'd say, um, and, and really important, because that's what something that will be looked for in a, in a leader, leadership role in marketing. The second thing I'd say from my experience um, is that I don't have any particular secret sauce or recipe. Um, and there's a term that's being used a lot, and I know that the, the two amazing ladies who created the term called Squiggly Careers. And um, I know them from the Marketing Academy, and they, they created the Squiggly Careers sort of, um, sort of concept. And it's because, from my perspective, certainly that's been my career, I don't have a linear path to CMO, I don't have a secret recipe. It kind of happened almost by chance. I took a gamble, I took an option, it worked. And my career has been a lot of embracing some opportunities and really going for new sectors, things that looked, oh, that's really small, you come from Sky or somewhere else, where would you go there? And, but I have embraced some real different things. And I think it's, it's being quite open-minded and not afraid mm -hmm. to have a little bit of that sort of squiggly career, take side moves, try something, even if it's a contract, might get it might become permanent, which is what I've had. And it has really accelerated. So I went from you know director to CMO because I took a gamble on something. And so um, and so I think that for me has been really pivotal as well. There was not a 
a path, a thing, you need to do it like this, and you'll get straight to CMO. And that would be certainly a thing I, I'd say. And then, um, and then the last third thing I'd, I'd say is, um, we talked about it already, is um, the importance of, I suppose, me mentorship and getting that sort of support, that sort of internal sponsors as well. But it's true not just to CMOs, but for anyone wanting to um, progress in their career, um, it, it's really, again, something that really accelerates and really help, especially if you don't quite know how to get to the next step, if you feel stuck, well, maybe seek that, that sort of support there. So um, that would be my, yeah, there we go, three points. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree. And I think the only thing I would add is something we discussed at the very beginning, which is, Self-promote, oh, yes. you know, like be, yes, be yes. proud of your achievements because make them visible. Yeah. If people don't see your achievements, you know, you won't be given that project that will mm -hmm. give you a career of advancement. You won't be given that promotion. So, and it's very hard if it's not in your nature. Yes. Actually, I remember yeah. when I had to, you know, really plan for a meeting. In this meeting, I'm gonna, I'm mm. gonna raise, I'm gonna, you know, highlight that great project and that great result, whatever. But and then it, and then it becomes more, more natural. And it's, it's not a bad thing. You know, a lot of people do that. So. So absolutely, and you know, just to to to, to reiterate, yes. uh, you know, be very data centric, develop your financial awareness, speak the language of the the CFO, and otherwise you probably won't be well received at the at the, at the executive table. And that, that that can be a nice springboard as well for if you want to become a CEO, right? Because mm. do you know another stat that I find quite um, you know. Yeah, disappointing is that none of the FTSE 100 CEOs are ex-CMOs. They yes. all come from other CFOs. Yeah. And a lot of them are. Yeah, or divisional directors, sales yeah. director, you name it. And it's it's a real shame because every business wants to grow by being more customer centric and so on. And this is what mm -hmm. we do as marketers. Yeah. But I think the problem is, again, you know, being able to articulate what we do in terms of you know revenue, uh, profitable growth, that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that would that would help more CMOs getting into that that, that top job. Yeah. And then the last thing I'd add as well, because I just thought about it, but I think also I'm finding that to be a shift to when maybe even our careers, but I can't speak to you, but for my careers, has built marketing and you know, in a way where I think quite a traditional way of doing marketing. I find in the last maybe even two years, this again the marketing role in general, but CMOs, it's become very tech tech focused. You know, the more we go, the more it's AI powered, AI generated, tech based. Um, and I think again, I think for me in the future, it's also about really understanding uh, the tools, the technology, the tech. So it's actually broadening out again, um, not just you know the marketing function, but um, really embracing the new technologies out there. That really because they are becoming very key to to, more, to doing marketing. Um, and I'm finding myself having to learn a lot of these as well. So yeah, I think. Yeah, I really agree with all of those. And I guess going back to as well some of you know, what you said at the start there, Virginia, in terms of taking opportunities and I was actually doing an interview about an hour before this one and someone asked me like what would you recommend to people who join the alliance like what's your advice I said don't stay in your lane as like if you've got opportunities it might not be in your job description it might not be what you're working on right now but if you've got an opportunity to get involved in a completely different area take it you don't know what you can achieve and I think it's those kind of traits within people when you kind of look into excel and you're looking to kind of go up if you can demonstrate that you can you know, be versatile and get involved yes. in all these different projects. That's how you can really leapfrog. And I guess, not, I'm not saying mine's a, a typical kind of trajectory, but that's how I got to where I was. I was a copywriter. I thought, we still need here for courses. I'm going to build that. We need customer success because we've got these products. I'm going to build that. And I saw these things. If I hadn't done that, I'd still be a copywriter, which don't get me wrong, I love copywriting. <laughs> but um, you don't get sometimes, uh, and certainly if you want to kind of expedite that kind of process, you don't get it necessarily going down the traditional routes. You need to kind of diversify. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so final kind of section of this podcast, I guess I want to just look into the future a little bit. So when we think about the responsibility marketing leaders have, female or not, in terms of furthering diversity in marketing, and you know, this might be in terms of ethnicity, socioeconomic backgrounds, LGBTQ+, I guess particularly, like how do you think we can support um, all this kind of diversity into those leadership level roles? Yeah, I mean, I think it's not just specific to women, uh, you know, all, all leaders within the business is, is celebrating all these, these differences that we have uh, and um, allowing them to, to bring their whole self to work, you know, whatever their, you know, if they're LGBTQ community or whatever that might be. I mean, at, at Superscript, we 
celebrates pride. You know, we've got, we, and we mean it actually, we've, we've got, I think I'm sure we over-index on the LGBTQ uh, community within Superscript. We, we have a faith room as well in the, in the office because from a, a different religion and you need to practice your faith or pray, you know, there's a room for you. Mm-hmm. So I think businesses need to really recognize that and, and create the right, the right conditions at work to not just acknowledge, but, but celebrate it. Um, and, you know, that as leaders, we, I think we all have to, to contribute within our teams as well, you know, enable people from uh, different, uh, different backgrounds to, um, to, to perform and to be celebrated and to, to be singled out in a way as well, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and, and in a positive way, I mean, um, yeah. uh, uh, celebrated, yeah. Definitely, and I guess like the authenticity of that is important in that I think a lot of organisations they do things to tick a box and to show yeah. like, look, we are diverse, yeah, exactly. we're doing all this. I think unless it's genuine and you're doing it for genuine purposes, yeah. it's so easy to see that through that kind of thing and it can just fire back on you. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. I was going to say exactly that. I think um, the main thing for me is that it's done in an authentic way. Yeah. So um, if it's not authentic to your business right now, um, obviously that might not be great, but don't try and shoehorn it in by recruiting a head of diversity and then starting to put quotas in recruitment just for the sake of it. Instead, you know, have a conversation at the leadership table to see how the culture could evolve or the, the values of business could evolve, even if it's over time, to make it a bit more central and authentic. And I think that would be my main thing because we've all seen it. We've all seen businesses who really, really mean it. And um, it's just part of the DNA. And they are based on a diverse culture because they really believe in it, believe in the values, extremely valuable. And others who really do it because they know that it's the, the, the you know fashionable or it's going to attract some candidates. And, and you could see through it. I, I yeah. certainly can see through it and um, something that I, as a candidate or someone, when I look for a job, I, I really, uh, you know, and I know people are more and more, um, you know, astute and, and, and I can see through it as well. So um, I think that would be the main thing, really, um, you know, try and make sure it's something that is authentic and fits within your culture and you understand the value, you know, the benefit for why you're doing it rather than because it's, yeah, imposed or, yeah. Okay, so final question for the podcast. We've spoken about so much today and so many really, really good points. And I guess for the listeners um, and watchers um, here with us today, I guess really want to crystallise that into some really important takeaways. So what have been your key takeaways and kind of how would you crystallise this conversation today for people to go and take away? Uh, well, for me, that, well, a few things. Certainly, if we, if we talk gender equality specifically, and for, for us women, is, is again embrace that... Uh, self-promotion, um, you know, networking, and make sure that you bring, uh, as a leader, your, your board on board as well with, with, with this, and you know, bring that awareness of all these unconscious biases and, and work with them to develop um, you know, policies that look at things like succession planning um, and so on. I think uh, also creating the right conditions for women to, 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 to perform. I think I actually read another stat, uh, <laughs> which is from the World Economic Forum, um, showing that um, men spend 90% of their work time on non-paid work, the care work, whilst women spend 55% of their entire work time on non-paid care work, right? And we, we tend to be the ones perhaps spending more time on children and families, etc. Um, and so, you know, there needs to be a bit of a rebalancing act here and it's not just the men in business that can help us. Our allies are also our partners, you know, the other men in our lives that can support us. I'm very lucky to have a husband that is taking a greater share, for example, so to enable me to thrive. So there's there's a number of things, I guess. There's the yeah, the, the self-promotion, uh, the awareness of unconscious biases, uh, creating the right conditions around, you know, mentoring, work setup, acknowledging, you know, enabling women to thrive despite all of the uh, other responsibilities they have outside of outside of work. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I would echo that. The things that stuck with me, we talked about, was exactly that. We talked about authenticity and the importance of authenticity and being being uh, being okay and comfortable with with being vulnerable um, as well, bringing your vulnerable self as well as your your business self at work and being authentic. Really important, especially in leadership roles. Uh, we talked about. We talked about the importance of linked to that, the mentoring. So, um, you know, b- both if supporting and mentoring others to help 
especially other women, you know, uh, progress in their career, but also um, seeking some mentorship um, if you're trying to progress or because it's really valuable. Um, and it could be from women or men. I've, I've had both. Um, and I think the, we, we all recognize that these were, uh, these, this is, mentorship is really important, something that really helps. Um, and I think we talked a little bit, but we, we, we had a bit of a thread throughout about also our role as educating the rest of the business on the value of marketing. So there's an education piece that still has to continue, both the education of the value that, that minorities, women or, or others, can bring and, and having a, a diverse um, workforce and, my, and is, is, you know, the value it brings um, is, is really pivotal, but also educating on the value of marketing. Um, we talked about it and it's definitely something that uh, we have to keep uh, at it really. I mean, it's by no means, we see the stats, it's by no means established. There's still a lot of myth, um, both on the marketing side and on, you know, women in leadership side. So there's a lot of still myth that we have to um, debunk. So yeah, I think we talked about and actually, one more thing: it's okay not to know it all. I think yeah, we, yes, we all talked. Yeah. We all talked about. I mean, your, I think your your career progression has been really impressive, and you've yes. taken on responsibilities that you had no knowledge of. I think this is exactly a good attitude, you know. And, and me and you have both moved to, you know, from one sector to another without, you know, full full knowledge, you know, mm -hmm. of, of the dynamics of this sector. And I think it's okay. You know, I remember when early in my career, I would not put myself forward for a project unless I knew a hundred percent. I had all of the skill sets. And actually, I've changed a lot, you know, stuff that you can learn on the go. So, yeah, that would be an extra piece, which perhaps we've not discussed, but I think it's quite... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, ...would be a take-out. Yeah. Definitely. I think that encapsulates it really nicely. So I'll not go over all yeah. ground, but really agree with all that. And I think, mm -hmm. for me, I think probably the three or four I'd take away is, I should say, self-promotion of what you are doing, because it's okay to say, I have done this. Mm -hmm. um, I think then the kind of internal promotion of marketing, we are a strategic function. We are influencing revenue. We're not just putting emails together. Then the authenticity and the vulnerability, I think for me, yeah. they would be the four um, kind of four big ones. That's a wrap. I just want to say a big, big thank you for both of your time today. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. There's been lots of really, really interesting talking points that I hope everyone listening and watching today has taken a lot of value from. So thank you both. It's been great to meet you. And again, thank you for the time that you've taken. Well, thank, thanks yeah, for having thank me. Thank you. Very nice thank to you for having meet us. you. Yeah, lovely yeah. to meet you. Yeah, yeah it was really good. Thank you. Thank you very much to Bryony, Mai and Virginie for joining us today. And thank you very much to our audience as well. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. We'll be back soon with some more CMO combos.